Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas, and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere, and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. All right, guys. It's been a long time coming. Bit of a hiatus here on Monster X Radio. It's my pleasure to be back in the saddle. Uh, I've been really busy with life in general. Been busy with uh, a lot of uh, research endeavors, and uh, like I said, it's a pleasure to be back here, but it's also my pleasure to bring onto the show with me one of my uh, most favorite people in this field, uh, one of the, the guys I get out with a lot with, and another super busy individual, and that is Chris Spencer. Chris Spencer, welcome to Monster X Radio. Hey, glad to have you back, man. Glad to be back. How have you been? What have you been up to lately? Well, you should know because we almost talk every day. <laughs> We're, uh, you know, if I'm not at work, I'm in the woods. Occasionally, right. I take a weekend off to go fishing. I've got audio review coming out my ears. But I I think virtually every weekend since this spring, yeah, at least one day, I've been out servicing audio somewhere, <laughs> you know, between <laughs> my area and the areas we share and stuff. It's We've done some campouts, too. and it's just nonstop. I can't believe it's November. Honestly, I just, I'm like, it's already November. Yeah. And I got another trip at the end of this month for Thanksgiving going to Idaho. And it's, I'm like scrambling because we're trying to make plans to do some stuff on the weekend, you know, in the nest area. And it's like, when did November come? <laughs> just popped out. And, and I know that you're going to Idaho to do some hunting. I've been, um, you know, I, I've been hunting up here in, um, the western part of the state. I, I uh, did uh, get my buck this year. Super happy about that. So uh, my hunting season is over unless I decide to hunt for elk. But I know you're going to Idaho. People are going to ask, why is Chris going to Idaho? Well, Chris is going to Idaho to do some hunting. Yeah, I, I'll still be wa- hunting actually in Washington, but we're going to uh, Nathaniel and Holly Bronis, they good friends of ours. They moved over there two years ago now. They've been trying to get us to come out to visit and it just so happened this year at time. Let's do Thanksgiving. And I muzzleload. So late season for Washington muzzleloaders, the game unit right on the Idaho border, half an hour from where they live is open to any buck. So I'm like, I'm hunting. I got a week off. <laughs> I'm going to go hunting. Chris, we've had a, I know with Monster Trader, we've been kind of on a hiatus, been quiet, but we've been busy. We've been busy within the Olympic project. And we've also been busy with some of our, personal endeavors 
you know, how did your year start out? Well, it's been, I think something interesting has happened almost every month, which is unusual. I mean, at least once a year, I get something interesting happening, whether it's audio or an experience while we're out in the field. But it seems like this year, not really experiences in the field, but a lot of, uh, well, yeah, some definitely experiences in the field. Uh, a lot of really good audio. I, I would have to say recording because I, you know, I got audio on the brain. Recording wise, uh, I've recorded more suspect stuff than any other year since 2015 when I first started. This year has just been phenomenal for recording. And it's just due in part getting out there, honing in on areas of interest that we know has activity and really being patient and persistent in our recording. I've been recording X1, uh, the Nest area, of course, and Central Washington. And then actually we did a camp trip you showed up for in um, late August, early September. In the, yeah, it was in the Olympics, but it was the more the Western towards the coast Olympics. And we had quite a bit of activity happen there. I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's just, it's, it's been an awesome year. As far as this subject for me, it's probably been the best year ever for me. Um, met a lot of really good people, had a lot of fun and just been productive, productive in learning new, a lot of new stuff for me. Now, uh, before we get into some of, some of our endeavors this year and some of the things we've partaken in, do you attribute, going off what you're talking about right now, do you attribute some of your success to placing those audio units in really unique and, and uh, productive areas? Yeah. You know, I, I was real fortunate in X1, for people that don't know, most people know that 2015, I started recording in an area I call X1. And just trial and error in that area has taught me a lot how to approach other areas. And what's really paid off is like some of the vocalizations we've recorded, I've recorded this year in different areas match up with vocalizations I've recorded in the past from X1. So that type of stuff is really exciting to me. So all the work that I did in X1, I'm starting to see the fruits of when I'm going into these other areas. We're, we're seeing some very similar patterns. We're seeing very similar vocalizations and starting to put together some ideas about our target subjects that I hadn't really thought about before or if I had it's just now it's more solidified in how I'm viewing it so right right well and we're going to delve more into that some of our successes but let's talk a little bit let's jump into our work with Seth Breedlove uh, we have a new uh, November 16th the discovery with Seth Breedlove comes out it's a film documentary we, we worked with Seth on, with Seth Breelove, A Small Town Monsters with. Fantastic time. I, I'll talk about my experience first and I'll let you dive in here. Uh, we invited uh, Seth out. He reached out to me months and months ago. We were supposed to film this last year. You know, the pandemic happened, so that got canceled. And so finally, we had a chance to bring Seth Breelove out to our neck of the woods out here in the Pacific Northwest. and. My experience was amazing. Uh, Seth Breedlove is a true documentarian. He keeps it real. We, we've been offered a lot of opportunities to film with uh, you know, networks, uh, production companies, all of that junk. We always turn them down because 
most of these networks, and I don't mind saying that, are untrustworthy. They have endeavors. They have uh, motives uh, that don't line up with the Olympic Project's idea. Uh, we like to keep it real. We, we're not sensational. We, we just keep it real. Seth Breedlove puts out honesty, and everybody in that production company, and I can name them by name, are great human beings. Uh, they're in it for the right reasons, but also they keep it real. They're willing to go the lengths that we go to, you know, in our endeavors. Like I said before, a lot of these production companies, they want embellishment and all that junk. That wasn't what I expected to happen with Seth Breedlove, and that's exactly what I didn't get. I, I got exactly what I expected with Seth. Boots on the ground, filming. You know, I remember sitting down with Seth in an interview for that documentary, and he asked me questions I've never been asked before. But he treated everybody with respect. He didn't ask us to embellish anything at all. So it was just a really fun time. I think people are going to really appreciate the discovery, uh, which comes out November 16th on all major platforms. You know, uh, I think it's on Amazon and, and Hulu and all those different things. I think they're going to appreciate it. What was your uh, what was your feeling on on your participation in this in, in this uh, film? I didn't know what to expect. I was super nervous. Unlike you. I, I, you've been involved with some filming productions before, and I, I've never been involved with anything like that. So I didn't had no clue what to expect. I was super, super nervous. Um, I, I, you know, I'd watched all the other on the trail of Bigfoot series, like most people. And I, I knew who Seth was and I've watched some of his other films and stuff. So I had him kind of up, up, up on a pedestal. So the first, the first night I talked to him, I was just like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> but uh you know listening to you talk you know what it was like it was like just taking some new people out with us in the field and discussing what we do you know every so often i take someone new out who wants to learn about what we do and stuff and that's what it was like you know it's as far as the filming i i really didn't even pay attention to the cameras anymore because gosh i mean when we're out in the field we all have gopros going so we're filming all the time anyways when we're out and that's what it was like. It's just like we brought some extra people with us doing what we do. And uh, they asked us some questions, you know, and, you know, the, the toughest part for me was the sit down interview in OP headquarters. It, Cause I built it up in my mind. Mm -hmm. I was, it was funny is I, I actually went on a hike with Derek, just me and Derek went for a hike just before it. And I'm glad I did that. Cause that actually helped me get in a place because I right. was so nervous. Me and Derek just went out and chilled for a couple hours hiking up a drainage. And and uh, when I came back, I, I was a little more mentally prepared. But I still, by the time we were done, I didn't remember any of the questions. I didn't remember any of my responses. And, <laughs> you know, I actually, after, uh, it's like a week after filming, I PM Seth and because I thought of some a couple of things that he had asked me that I just, I felt I answered ineptly <laughs> I explained in a PM to him and he was kind of giggling and he's like you sounded fine Chris so yeah just like you said just very genuine real people honest people and they they weren't out to to embellish anything they were just filming us do what we do all the time anyway so it was a great experience I would I you know I would definitely do it again and I I guarantee I'd be way more comfortable with them as you know just knowing how they are and we had fun. We had Alex and Eli with us too. That they camped out with us and and enjoyed the nice rainy cold weather. <laughs> and so yep. 
it was a good time. But you talk about a, a, a really professional production crew. It's not a reality show. What you see is what you get, so yep. to speak. Yeah, and that's it. Yep. And once again, this is the first production crew we've ever, ever invited out to this nesting area. At the end of the day, we do want to share our findings. And, Absolutely. And because and, that's how you learn from others and what they're doing and stuff. But you want to do it in a in a responsible way. And, you know, the, everything we do is out of our own pockets. This was an opportunity to work with some really cool people to to produce something really genuine that I think the public will appreciate. And uh, that's what it was all about, period. Totally agree, Chris. So, um, no, well said. And so I just got to say, look forward to November 16th when this is released. Now, it's been a busy year, like we talked about, Chris. It's been a super busy year. We've kind of been all over the place, but yet not all over the place. Let's talk about, before we get into, like, say, the the nest area stuff uh, that we've been really focusing in on, both with audio and being on on the ground, let's get into uh, Bartfoot. And Bartfoot is an event we do every year. We get out in the woods. With Bart Catino, he comes up to the Pacific Northwest out of California, and we do like a week-long campout uh, slash um, research trip. I kind of showed up to the party a little bit late. You were there kind of earlier, Chris, and we did this up in the Pacific Northwest, up in the state of Washington in a really unique area, an area that I don't have a lot of experience in, but we had a lot happen. And even before I showed up, there was stuff happening, but when I showed up, I kind of dived right into it and was like, wow, what an amazing area and what an amazing area to pick out. You know, you go into some of these areas uh, or you go to a new area and you don't expect anything to happen. This is one of the surprises, though, for me this year was that we went to an area that I'm kind of new to. And we had some stuff happen when I was there and before I was there. So you were there before me. So let's talk about that. Yeah, we got there like the day after most ever, I mean, a bunch of people got there, I think two days before me and Rebecca got there. And uh, Bart was there the day before us. And we actually, there was a lot of, we had several satellite camps. We had a main camp where everyone kind of came together, cook food, eat, and talk about who's going to do what um, that night. But uh, we actually, Rebecca and I, satellite camped with Nathaniel Bronis and his wife Holly about I want to six seven miles away from the main camp but we were on a, a drainage that Nathaniel and Kirk Brandenburg know this area and they they've uh, done a a lot of studying of the area and there's a lot of reports over the years so they kind of had some ideas of where stuff could possibly happen looking at the terrain and uh the history of the sighting reports as well as uh, vocalization reports and such. Well, the night before we got there, Bart's, I think it was Bart's first night, he saw something in his therm. <laughs> and it was one of those deals. He was putting batteries in his therm. And uh, two other guys, I think it was Jonathan Brown and, and a guy named Kevin, they were by on the other side of his truck and they'd heard someone walk across the road, you know, down below them. And they're like, Hey, Bart, therm down there. Some, something just walked across the road. 
and Bart's like, yeah, yeah. He gets his therm up and the zoom, it was zoomed all the way in. And he was instantly on the torso of a Sasquatch. I mean, that he flat out, he saw it. He didn't have time to record it, but he saw it for three or four seconds. He saw uh, the, the torso, one arm, and it moved up the hill. And it was not very far from him. And that was the first night there. <laughs> and, you know, I went up the next day and I found, we found some ambiguous tracks can't say for sure but right in the location where this thing had gone in so that was super exciting um i think the next night uh kevin recorded a cougar on the road that was via via, via thermal yeah via via thermal that was not shy at all i don't think it it turned away from it was actually walking towards him and someone else and uh it didn't turn away from until they turned their headlamps on but could you imagine, um, Chris, because I saw the video, there was, this was, the, I think, the day prior from, to me getting there, and they showed me this video, and this cougar is walking up the trail at them. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> if you're just walking down a trail in pitch black with no um, thermal heat sink, you know, imagery, they would never have known that cougar was there. No, it right. may have peeled off into the woods, but uh, the fact that they had that equipment with them, they saw the cougar, and it was walking up the trail at them, and they heard it. It, yeah. it it made noise and then it peeled off into the woods once they started being a little more animative, uh, animated, you know, they got their guns out and all that. But can you imagine, and I got a funny story about pitch black without thermal, but uh, that to me was, uh, that was actually a really good piece of thermal imagery and oh, yeah. it shows you what's around you without you knowing if you're just walking around in the woods. Yeah. You know, we, Bart had his sighting and then we, uh, Scott Burke, was recording back at uh base camp and some of the guys at base camp had heard some stuff several nights in a row around base camp after everybody left and base camp wasn't that far from bart's camp not as far as our camp but uh scott burke had audio out and i want to say it was two days or two nights after bart's sighting and he recorded a vocalization that when he played it for me, I instantly knew because it's a vocalization that I've recorded before in Area X One. Right. They're almost identical, and with one one difference, like mine was a little further from my recorder, and there's a whoop in mine. It's it's like a howl, but it's very high pitched, and we theorized or hypothesized that it it's possibly a juvenile Sasquatch, which. And I made I made a YouTube about this. Um, basically, Bart has a sighting of what he believed was a juvenile because it, he he didn't think it was more than six feet tall, give or take a few inches. Area X one where I recorded my vocal, there was a juvenile sighting there the year before I recorded my vocal. So you've got two different areas, almost identical vocals, and you bo- in both areas you have juvenile sightings. So that was really exciting to me. Because it, it is, uh, it's a howl, but it's very high pitched. That was, um, you know, the, I think you showed up the day after that. Yes. It, in the meantime, uh, me, Nathaniel, Rebecca, and Holly, we back at our area, there's a huge ridgeline we were camped at the base of, and there's a river that runs past our camp. And we had gone on the other side of the ridge, did a late afternoon hike and decided, let's just go up over this ridge. Yeah, you because know, uh, as you coined the phrase, ridge apes, 
we want, wanted to make our presence known. So we were totally off trail. We were not on any trails. And I think it was about a thousand foot elevation gain up and over. And we timed it just right when we got to the, uh, got up over the ridge and down to our camp, it was right at dusk. It was like eight, eight thirty, eight forty or so. And it was just getting dark. Well, Holly and Nathaniel, they had to hike back up where we had parked Nathaniel's uh, rig about a mile and a half away to go get. And me and Rebecca stayed back at our camp. Well, just prior to that, as we were coming down the hill into our camp, me and Holly were trying to, we were pushing dead trees <laughs> over, trying to make noise, failing miserably. I mean, I think I, I pushed one over and it went over, but it made no noise at all. <laughs> right. and, you know, we were, we got down, but we were making that effort. We were goofing around and stuff and making noise while we were doing it. And anyways, me and Rebecca are sitting there back at camp and I'm, I'm using my therm at this point because it's, it's that twilight dusk when in the timber, you can't see anything. And Rebecca just does a couple of her bard owl calls. And after her second bard owl call, a tree comes down right where we had just come from. <laughs> Right. And it was a big crash. There was no wind. And I'm like, we both kind of looked at each other. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a coincidence. And we wouldn't find out till we I got home and we reviewed audio because I had audio running at that camp the whole time every night. And I unfortunately only had it running 24-7 for a couple of days. I wish I'd, I mainly was just covering dust till dawn. But we later found out we actually were visited a, uh, one morning friday morning just before we left saturday but friday morning you guys had a heck of an experience you guys did well what's funny is coupled in my audio told the story we actually had several morning visits after that evening that we'd gone over the ridge we had several morning visits and i remember one morning uh nathaniel from his tent was calling he's like chris chris do you hear that I'm like, oh yeah, it's just woodpeckers. I was, you know, half asleep because we were staying up <laughs> real late, and and uh, I would, I just had everybody in our camp convinced, hey, anything you're hearing in the morning, that's just the woodpeckers, the peleated woodpeckers, and the squirrels dropping stuff. And the thing was like, no, I'm not kidding you. I heard some serious percussives, and uh, and I'm like, nah, and I just had every, I'm like, I talked him down, I'm like, yeah, it's just freaking woodpeckers. Well. Friday morning, we had rocks coming into camp, and you could hear the rocks hit the tree and then thud on the ground for 20 minutes on and off. I mean, we had multiple individuals throwing stuff into our camp. Rebecca had woken up to it. I slept through the whole thing, and I was exhausted. I think uh, Nathaniel and Rebecca were the only ones that kind of woke up to it, and they both just were... they something woke them they just knew that something woke them and they're like oh it's just the woodpeckers and they went back to sleep right yeah that's common no with with that's the thing too and we're not going to delve into this tonight but a lot of campers that are out camping whether they're partying or just done hiking all day and they go to bed we sleep through so much and we pass oh, it off yeah. as just known behavior uh what you recorded though uh an experience uh i thought was really really dang interesting in this area and I did, I did get a whoop one morning. It wasn't that morning. That morning, it was just stuff being lobbed into camp. But the, I think it was either th- it was Thursday morning after we left because we, no, it was Wednesday morning. I'm sorry. 
But yeah. me, Nathaniel, Holly, and Rebecca, we take off to go to main camp. And about 15 minutes after we take off, I got a solid whoop just outside our camp and a big percussive. So we were being watched and we didn't even know it. And then I think it was Wednesday night. So Tuesday night would have been when we heard the tree fall after our hike. Mm-hmm. I think it was Wednesday night. Kirk was out with the R2D2 unit. They went by our camp. We went to bed early that night and they went by our camp and they'd seen something on the hillside and it didn't get recorded, but it looked like a, a tree peaker on the mm-hmm. hillside where that tree cache had come from. We didn't find that out till later. So there was stuff, there was stuff going on. Uh, like I said, I'm going to keep this show kind of short and sweet. We're just kind of going go over and touch some stuff. We can get into the specifics later, especially with the audio aspect. But you possibly did see something on oh, that yeah. trip. I know. I, I don't want, we don't have to delve too far into that, but oh. <laughs> you possibly did see something on that trip. Yeah. yeah. Can you just talk about that briefly? So I, I, I planned on not talking about it, but I'm going to talk about it. The, the night before, the night before we did our day hike over the ridge, we'd actually done a night hike with several people, um, me, Nathaniel, his wife, Holly, Rebecca, and then two gentlemen, Tony and Ron were with us. They all had thermals. I have a night vision. I just bought it. I mean, it's nothing spectacular, but it, right. it records. It does pretty good out to a thousand feet. It has a zoom in on it and stuff. It's nothing fancy, but. I was using that and we discovered early on in the hike, the darn thing I, it, when I turned it on, it would make our radios buzz. So I had it <laughs> off because I didn't want to make everybody's radio buzzing. Well, we'd gone on a fairly long hike. I think we did three miles out of camp and then we're on our way back. Just spent several hours in a couple areas and didn't have anything happen. Well, Nathaniel, before we'd left this particular spot, Nathaniel had done a couple knocks. And we didn't hear anything. Well, we started on our way back and me and his wife, Holly, we were quite a ways ahead of them. And we were just, I think we were talking about whitewater rafting or something. And it was a nice full moon out. So there was, we weren't using headlamps or nothing. You could see, and we're coming around a bend on the logging road and there was dark timber on the other side of this bend. And as we're coming around, I thought I saw movement. And then I saw uh, a shape. (laughs) in the middle yeah. of the road on the other side of this bend. And I told Holly, stop. And I guess she has terrible night vision. She couldn't see anything. And I, I'm fiddling with my night vision to get it turned on. And by the time I got it turned on and up, whatever was standing in the middle of the road was no longer standing in the road. And it was just, it was within the shadows of the trees. It was, it was about my height. I'm five, nine. It wasn't, overly tall or anything but it was a shadow i call i said it was like a seen a a blacked out cousin it standing in the middle of the road <laughs> and when we got up there we uh nathaniel found where there's some compression fresh compression marks in the gravel and you could see where something had gone off the road through the grass down towards the river so i can't say that it was our target subjects but it was something and the timing was maybe 15 20 minutes after nathaniel had done the knock possibly something was coming down to check out what was knocking i don't know but there was something in the road yeah um, i just i thought it was interesting giving the circumstances and everything that transpired i thought that was um really interesting and then hearing but what happened later on uh with the, the audio recordings around your camp 
there was a lot of other very interesting things that happened on that trip. Uh, I'm not going to get into that tonight. This is just a, a brief synopsis of what's been up to and, and some of our experiences. So let's move on to the nest area. Now, an area we've been working on for years. Um, we've really, uh, via Chris Spencer here, really started doing long a lot of long-term audio placement and uh, recording. And so that's something that's been very compelling and interesting to me, getting out there, placing those long-term audio units in, in specific picked out areas. So uh, one of the first long-term audio units, not the first per se, but one of the first ones we placed out there, something happened this year. And that was, we were looking for an area to place a long-term audio unit, right, Chris? And yep. we were just out hiking and I had kind of an area of interest. We both did. We had an area of interest and we just happened to stumble upon some fresh huckleberry breaks. And it was by pure accident, really, because where I wanted to place it was hundred, you know, at least a hundred yards before this particular area. We pursued on and found this one little area, and then we started to see that there were fresh huckleberry breaks. And I'm going to tell my audience this now: uh, if if you're not familiar with the nest area, if you're not familiar with uh, some of what we've been talking about here tonight with huckleberry breaks, which is uh, you know huckleberry we have up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's a a wild berry and it's a, a fruit bearing plant. Go back and listen to those past episodes, get caught up and then come back to this episode because what we're going to divulge and, and get into is just uh, something that we look for in these areas. Now, wild animals will break huckleberry, no doubt about it. There's specific things we look for, certain patterns, certain huckleberry breaks. We were walking into an area above the uh, what we call the old nest area, the primary nest area. And we came across brand new huckleberry bow breaks. Um, some of them were a little bit high. Some of them were about, you know, chest height and lower. Uh, but they were really thick huckleberry breaks. Broken. Some of them were twisted off and snapped off and left there. But there was no sign of teeth marks, no sign of um, antler marks. None of that. It was very, very peculiar to me because we traverse this area all the time. When I come across something like that, I usually look for bear evidence or, or elk or deer, whatever have you. There was none of that. And it's right above the primary nest site. And uh, it just uh, it spoke to me that this was not necessarily known behavior, definitely not human behavior. Uh, didn't look to be bear behavior. Didn't look to be an ungulate behavior. This was something kind of different. And the more we looked around this area, the more Huckleberry um, breaks we found throughout yeah. this area over a span of like two days. So that was really interesting to me. And so basically we, we did end up putting a long-term unit out there. Um, Chris, I'll let you take over, give your perspective here, because not only do we place long-term audio units out there, unit out there, but later on, we actually, Chris, uh, I'll let you get into what we've recently placed out in this area within the last couple of months, your new unit. <laughs> yeah. So when we were in there, I think that was the end of February. And uh, what was interesting about the breaks was it wasn't just a couple breaks. It was, and it was going through off trail. It was not on the trail. Uh, but a lot of times you'll find on trail where people have broken stuff as they're walking along the trail. This, it came from perpendicular. It was moving perpendicular to the trail that we were actually on. 
and just going straight down the hill. And it was like a swath of it. It was not just one or two. I mean, there, there were clusters of it, like multiple individuals were doing this. It's, right. Yep. And, and this was not, I mean, this was something that had to have enough power to break some of these huckleberries. And then, I mean, some of it is we'd be struggling to break it. Um, and it's, it's just, all I can say is it was extremely odd and not what I've seen before in other areas. So it was, in my opinion, it was very suspect and it was, it was similar to what you had witnessed when you guys first found the nest with the huckleberry breaks all the way around the nest. Um, it was similar situation to that. Some of it was very high. I mean, some of it was six, seven feet up, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, well, let's throw some audio out. (laughs) So we did in a, I think we came up and I had a malfunction with that recorder and we placed another one. And I, the first, uh, I think the first month of audio out of there, we got some whistles, got some definite suspect, uh, percussives that I would definitely attribute to the target subjects. Um, one of the whistles is actually very similar to a whistle once again, that I've recorded in area X one. And then later in May, if, and I think most people know about it. I have it on my YouTube channel. I recorded something I called chimp fit in that area. Hey, Chris, it, let me stop you there real quick because I'm going to post this at the end of the show. But a lot of people, when they, they talk about their YouTube channels, they don't mention middle of the show. So mention your YouTube channel right now, and then I'll post it at the end of the show. Okay, it's uh, Toodle River Valley Skookum and Chris Spencer. And yep. I, I have a... I took that audio. This was May 1st. And what was interesting, um, May 1st, me, you and Rebecca had been in there and we had serviced audio. And while I was messing around with the audio recorder, you and Rebecca were hearing mumbling voices down towards the Salmon Creek. And uh, and you guys were both per- really perplexed. You're like, there shouldn't be anyone down there. Why would someone be down there? And I wasn't really paying attention. I was doing something. I was about to say something. Right when I said something, there's a woo. Right. And you're like, what the heck? You know, and what's cool about that, that vocalization was at 1030 in the morning. Well, 12 hours later at 1008 PM, that vocal proceeds what we call chimp fit now. I mean, the exact same vocal happens again. And then chimp bit occurs, which there's nothing the tie what I named it, that's self-explanatory. That's what it sounds like. Um, and it's right where we found those Huckleberry breaks. Yeah. So I mean, basically what Rebecca and I had heard was I, at first I thought there's people out here. Uh I'm I'm hearing like mumbling. I thought at first there was uh people out there, and I'm like, there's no way there's people out here. Uh, especially where, from where we're hearing these uh, this mumbling come from. And Rebecca and I both heard it. You were busy doing the audio thing. But the fact that pretty much that night recorded Chimfit, and that, mm-hmm. th- that was profound to me. And you can find that recording. Uh, uh, Chris here has done a comparison, um, really cool little video on his YouTube site that he mentioned earlier. And I'll post this at the end of the show on, uh, as a link. But and once again, to reiterate, we call it chimp fit, or Chris has na- named it chimp fit, not because it's a chimp, but it's very reminiscent of what chimps would do, you know, as a comparison. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was very profound. But um, 
we've heard stuff like out there like this before. It's just very fortunate. Finally, we got some of this recorded. And now we have multiple uh, long-term units out there with actually, based on some of our recent findings, uh, some new recent Huckleberry breaks in this area, in an adjacent area, not in the initial nest area that was discovered back in 2016. Um, once again, if you're not familiar with that, go back and look at some of Monster X past shows. This is uh, not, I'm not going to delve into that tonight, but we found some new Huckleberry breaks. And we're now going to place another, via Chris's idea, place another long-term audio unit in, in uh, this area. These new Huckleberry breaks that are very suspicious, very odd. Never seen activity like this in this particular area. So that is, uh, I mean, we're, shoot, we're, we're, we're pretty much going to have audio everywhere out in this area. And we, yeah. we do get a lot of suspect and interesting stuff. Uh, I know you, Chris, I know how much time you spend on looking at the stuff visually, not just listening to the stuff. And I want to re- reiterate this, that um, Chris Spencer specifically doesn't just uh, listen to audio. He looks at it visually on a spectrogram. So you can compare it to a lot of known stuff and, and some of the other suspicious stuff we've recorded over the years. Yeah, we've got, so we, at that time, you know, we had uh Todd Hill uh, put together an L- I call them LTRs, long-term yep. recorders. We have that in an area, and then we in close to the area where you and him had your experience with the new nest, and then we had this LTR near the older nest, the original nest that were found where Chimpfit was recorded. Well, since then, because uh, I'm I'm looking at everything on spectrogram. And before I listen to it, but since then you you kind of I think you were you were out there scouting or something, picking up yeah. game cameras or something. This is a month or couple couple months ago, maybe you found some Huckleberry breaks you were telling us about, and then recently we went out to service audio and actually I have an SM4 now. I bought a Wildlife Acoustics uh, recorder, uh, very expensive but well worth the money. Um, very, very expensive and shows Chris's uh, his adamancy into. I, I love the thing, honestly, because it, it's amazing. It, it is amazing. Just the mics work great. And even viewing in spectrogram, you can see this. There, it makes the review process a little slower because I'm I'm not only looking for unknown stuff. We're cataloging every every sound I am. I'm cataloging and taking note of every sound we get all the known animals. I I'm getting it all put together so we can have a better sound picture of the area. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Cause I mean, we've recorded stuff like Fox in there. We've recorded loons, um, just cool stuff that I don't normally get. And the, the SM4 is, is so sensitive I mean, it's easier to pick out the signatures and spectrogram and I may, I'm, it's a lot of, I'm basically, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of data cataloged and we're getting every night. We don't have to, with the SM4, it's the way I have it set up right now. I can record 74 nights, 10 hour nights. I little less now, cause I think I have it set to uh, record 13 hour nights because we don't, we have less light out basically dusk till dawn that thing's recording and i'm not having any issues all my other ones are 
things I've put together and it's either power goes out or you run out of memory or mic goes out with the SM4. I don't have to worry about any well, of that. The, the SM4. So here's the thing, Chris, the SM4 is such a, it's a professional unit. It's very expensive. It carries two SD cards. It is a solid professional bioacoustical nature recording uh, audio unit that you spent a, a hefty price on. And I got to give you kudos to that because I know there's other individuals in the Bigfoot world that probably own one of these. And I only think of maybe one or two groups that own one of these possibly. Um, you went out of your way to uh, have your hard-earned money to purchase one of these. And we've been, we, I mean, let's, I'm sure all of the audio units you own now would add up to what you just purchased. But <laughs> oh. this unit is amazing. This unit yeah, is amazing. The background noise is minimal. The ambient noise is minimal, and it picks up sounds so great. We placed it in this area, and I thought, oh, man, what an amazing unit. I would hate to see a bear tear this up. Because <laughs> you've had two two game cameras recently destroyed by bears. So, what, One, I can't figure out that I, I've got video of that bear walking past that camera every month for the last eight months. And all of a sudden, last month, he decided he was going to eat it. it but I have a lot of video of that bear. We know who did it. Oh, we but, know the suspect. Yeah. yeah. You know, back, back to the SM4, it's, um, it's actually ornithologists use it. Other biologists use it. Uh, I know there's individuals using that unit right now looking for the ivory-billed woodpecker that supposedly has gone extinct. It, they use it in Africa um, for recording elephants. You can set the Hertz levels to whatever you desire. They use it a lot for frog studies, bat studies, because you can set the Hertz levels up to 96,000 Hertz. Um, I have it R set right now to record 24, up to 24,000 Hertz, which is plenty. Uh, your regular run of the mill recorders, that's about what, as far as the max mm-hmm. they'll go. But this thing, you go higher. We don't need to because that's not, we're not looking <laughs> for vocals that high, but. Right. Needless to say, it's it's a tool used by scientists. And actually, when I bought it, they were, had forms for me to fill out for grants if I had a grant for it, because I think most people who buy it have grants. Right. And I think that's how they make their money is U.S. grant dollars by scientists. But well, it's, not a it's unit. worth it. There's more bells and whistles I can get for it that I probably will because I will get. I'm going to have more of these units and you you can buy GPS for them, have them hooked up to GPS. And then you can actually, it'll actually the, the program, the software you can buy, not the free pro you can get free software with it to analyze your audio, but there's a program. I think it's kaleidoscope. You can purchase it's about three or 400 bucks, but if you have GPS on your units, it'll help you coordinate where the sounds are actually coming from. And that's that's down the road. I'd love to be able to do that right now, but I don't have that much money right now. But uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's there's a lot of options, and I'm more than happy. I I don't regret spending the money at all. And like I said, I will probably add more to the arsenal at least one a year. I, I'm planning on buying another one next spring. I think the audio unit itself is already paid for itself, and I know for you personally that when you're viewing the stuff on say audacity on us, you know, on, on a spectrogram, it is just crystal clear compared to 
you know, we always talk about TAS cams like the DRO5 and DRO7, for example, which are fantastic audio units, but they do not even compare. Most of my LTRs, like uh, my favorite is the LS7, which they don't make anymore. And you right. can't, you got to go on eBay and hopefully find the it. Olympus. Yeah. The Olympus, yeah, yeah. The Olympus LS7 is one of my favorites. And, I, and th- those are just the ones I'm familiar with. I'm sure there's others out there, but, but you really get a sense of what good audio looks looks like in spectrum when you use the sm4s and it's it's recording in wave so that's huge files but the unit will take two one terabyte sd cards <laughs> yeah i i have i have two 128 gig sd cards in them right now and that that get, gives me like i said 74 nights the unit's designed to go six to nine months <laughs> And honestly, I don't, I have a hard enough time going over about two months worth of audio out of it. (laughs) So It's crazy when you start, you know, oh, we want more nights. We want more nights recording all that. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, that's that much more. Be careful what you wish for. Exactly. At the end of the day, I I think it's really important. I mean, I'm very passionate about this. I think being able to get every night, especially in the nest area, is going to give us a better picture of the area overall and a better understanding of what we possibly could be dealing with. Um, I know a lot of people poo-poo audio, but hands down, at least monitoring movement in the area, this is one way to do it, in my opinion. And being able to record every single night and log all catalog all the known animals in the area that's extremely valuable to understanding what we're dealing with for me recording known animals whether it's coyotes uh, owls foxes you name it that is just as important bar none i'm looking forward to the future of the audio work and i encourage you out there listening to this show that if you were out there recording learn the art of looking at your audio not just listening I've said it before. It t- took some time and persistence, but now it's like reviewing audio. You, when you see some suspect, you know it's suspect. It's just it just takes time getting to know it, anyone starting out. I I started out and I did a lot of listening as well as looking because you have to because how ah, you're gonna know what the signature is unless right. you listen to it. <laughs> you know, I'm going in six, going on seven years next this. February, seven years of doing this. And I'm excited right now because I, I've, I'm more comfortable. And I think I'm actually seeing some of the fruits of my labor in what I'm doing and just understanding what's happening with sound, you know, and like we're working with uh, Wes from Squatcher Matrix, you know, he's taking the data I'm collecting and we're able to do a statistical analysis and there's some interesting things popping up with just even the known animal sounds that are occurring in in the area and possibly in conjunction with some of the unknown sounds uh you know especially when it comes to coyotes and stuff like that there's some interesting comparisons whether it's the the time of the month the time of the day the time of the night the more you it's like a rabbit hole the more you delve into this the more you get like you know more questions and answers but that is so intriguing to me. And that's something we as a, within the Olympic project, within uh, some of our individual endeavors, uh, like Chris mentioned, you know, Squatcher Metrics, you can find Squatcher Metrics on Facebook and Instagram. He's a data analysis by trade. Amazing guy. 
but working with individuals like that, uh, it paints a bigger picture out here. It's been a very interesting year. Chris, I'm going to have you back on here shortly. We're going to play some audio for the gang here, and we'll get into the audio and where it's come from. But how would you sum up this year? Exhausting, but very good. Just going nonstop, and that's how I like it. Everything. Well, I guess what's nice is everything that's happening in the world. It's nice to, on the weekends, just get out and focus on something else and just being out in nature, doing what we do and uh, enjoying ourselves. You know, like I said, a lot of our, we've had a lot of really neat and interesting things happen this year. So I'm looking forward to the next year because it, this year is basically, if anything, it's opened up more ideas and more possibilities for us in coming years in what we're doing. And I'm excited. I'm right there with you, Chris. And we just scratched the surface. This was kind of a really quick rundown of what we've been up to. Stay tuned, people. Chris, thank you for joining me tonight. No problem. love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.